heaven breaks through. About the same time Jesus was born, another baby was born. His name was John, and God had a special job for him. John was going to get everyone ready for Jesus. The day John was born, his dad knew God's promise to Abraham was coming true. God was sending the rescuer, and he was so happy he sang a song. Because God loves us with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love, heaven is breaking through. He is sending us a light from heaven to shine on us like the sun, to shine on those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So John grew up and, well, to tell you the truth, he was a bit unusual. He lived in the desert. He wore itchy, scratchy outfits made of camel hair. He had a, a big, big, bushy beard and a long, long, scraggly hair. And, and, and here's the oddest thing of all. He ate only locusts. That's short for big, creepy, crunchy grasshoppers, which he dipped in honey to disguise the taste, probably. But God sent John to tell his people something important. Stop running away from God and run to him instead, John said. You need to be rescued. I have good news. The rescuer is coming. Make your hearts ready for him. Yes, get ready, because your king is coming back for you. Great crowds listened to John. They were sorry they had sinned and they wanted to stop running away from God. They wanted to be rescued. So John baptized them, which means he plunged them in and out of the water. It showed that they wanted to follow God and begin a new life. One day, John was baptizing people in the Jordan River as usual, when he looked up and saw a man walking down to the water's edge. God spoke quietly to John. This is the one. John's heart leapt. This was the moment he'd been waiting for all his life. Look, John said as Jesus came down into the water. But his voice came out as a whisper. He couldn't make it any louder. It was all he could do to even speak. The, the, the lamb of God, God's best lamb who takes away the sins of the whole world. Will you baptize me too? Jesus asked. Well, who am I, John asked, to baptize you? It's what God wants me to do, Jesus said. So John baptized Jesus. Suddenly, <laughs> It was as if someone had drawn back curtains in a dark room, as if heaven itself had opened, because a beautiful light broke through the clouds and shone down onto Jesus, bathing him in gold. Beads of water glittered and sparkled like tiny diamonds in his hair. A white dove flew down and gently rested on Jesus. And a voice came down from heaven. It was clear and strong and loud, so everyone could hear. This is my own son, 
and I love him. I am very pleased with him, God said. Listen to him. Heaven had broken through. The great rescue had begun. to all of you. My name is Donjan Hartog. For those of you that don't know me, I served here at FBC on staff as pastor of biblical education for uh, 17 years. And uh, it's been such a blessing to have been here in those years. Um, we have uh, since moved to Kansas in the prairies and um, minister at a new church there, made up mainly of people in their 30s and 40s, um, in a town called McPherson, and uh, about 14,000 people. Uh, I did not get, lived outside the nation's capital here for 17 years, did not get pulled over once. I've been pulled over twice in McPherson. <laughs> uh, sir, have you ever heard, we see you got a Virginia license plate, uh, sir, here in Virginia we come to a complete stop at a stop sign. Why, is there any good reason why you kept rolling a little bit? No. Well, next stop was, sir, here in Kansas we have click it or ticket. So make sure to keep your seatbelt on, but here's a $30 fine just to help remember. So anyway, I'm a criminal already in the state of Kansas. Pulled over twice in the same week, and I learned my lesson that those uh, small-town policemen are on the alert. Well, listen, um, it's sure good to be with you, and I was so uh, thrilled to be invited to come. Mark uh, talked with me last November, told me about the new series you're doing, and asked if I would preach on the baptism of Jesus, and just such a privilege to, uh, to be back with you. I'd like to have you open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 3. As you're turning there, I want to simply say our church in McPherson is grateful for FBC. Uh, when I told them I've been invited to come here, they said, go. We owe them a lot because this church has provided, uh, financially, we didn't, the church doesn't need the support. They're doing fine financially, but they did need consultation. A lot of advice on how to do this, that, this, and the other thing. We've been on the phone recently again with Charlie Spencer on children's ministry, and we just really appreciate the resourcing that uh, we can gain from you and, and this church, and we hope that in some way we can be a blessing to you. So, John chapter 3, verse 13, as the story was depicted on the screen, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he ha allowed him... And uh, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove 
and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son, or literally, this is my son, the beloved one, in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege and opportunity to be together this morning, and we just are grateful for your word and how your word gives us understanding and discernment. It gives us hope. It gives us direction. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who works in our hearts and changes us from the inside out and uses your word to change our thinking and to have our minds be congruent with yours. And we pray that today as we look at this passage that it will be another step in that direction leading us to a closer walk with you and um, a renewed hope in the day in which we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, it was Captain Sully, after hitting a flock of birds leaving LaGuardia Airport in New York, that he had to make a split decision whether to land the plane in the Hudson or try to turn around and make a safe landing on a runway. And you know the story that he believed at that moment that he would not have adequate time to be able to make it back to the airport, and he safely landed that plane in the Hudson River, and all the passengers and crew uh, were spared. Nothing like a competent captain, uh, somebody that has a sense of understanding of where they're going and how to get there and what to do in case of an emergency. Somebody that can make decisions and guide people to safety. Nothing like a competent captain. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life, and I assume that most of you, if not all of you, have, you are, along with me, on a journey. And the journey that is before us as we begin a new year is filled with unknowns. Patty and I are receiving text messages and emails and things from people here periodically. We owe some people answers. We were saddened from some of the news that we are hearing. So-and-so just went to be with the Lord and died of COVID. And, and then another and another. And we realized, boy, that was, that was unexpected. Are you kidding me? That, that happened the unknowns, and they come our way, and they, they hit us hard. And we face another 364 more days of this year, if the Lord tarries, of unknowns. But today I want you to take encouragement that we have a captain, and it is not unknown to him. Every day, every minute of every day, every event that is ahead of us individually, corporately as a church, our communities, our states, our nation, our world. And he's there to lead us as his children. What does that have to do with the baptism of Jesus? Is because at this particular event in the life of Jesus Christ, it's his inauguration as our king 
and as the book of Hebrews says, as our captain. Why was Jesus baptized? That's a perplexing question, and it's a question that I have had years past. It didn't make a lot of sense, at least the answers that I was given didn't really hit home well with me, and I never was really satisfied with the answers I was receiving as to the reason that Jesus was baptized. We know that the people that were baptized with John's baptism was for the repentance of sin. They were repenting. They were, they were preparing themselves for the coming king. And they were getting right with God. And therefore, they wanted to experience that spiritual cleansing. They were used to going to mikvahs. These are these little baths that people walk down into, a pool of water, and come back out as a part of spiritual cleansing. They were used to that in Jerusalem. There's mikvahs all over being excavated even today. They were understanding that spiritual cleansing, but out here in the wilderness, in the Jordan River, out in the desert, this John the Baptist is preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and they're coming for spiritual cleansing, and then Jesus shows up. We understand the reason that they were baptized, but Jesus, he didn't need to repent from sin. He's sinless, spotless lamb. Why did he need to be baptized? Some people have said, well, he got baptized as an example, so we'd all get baptized. And I thought... That doesn't make sense either because our baptism is actually a symbolic way of demonstrating that we have died with Christ and buried with him and then raised to new life and putting our faith in Christ and we are buried with him in baptism and raised to new life and he wouldn't be baptized for that because he is the life. We baptize today to become followers of Christ to demonstrate that we are his disciples and followers and learners, but he wouldn't be baptized to demonstrate that he's a follower of himself. Never made sense to me the reasons that were given why Jesus was baptized. But I hope today that we can all gain a little bit better understanding of the reason, but also the benefit and the practical application of his baptism in our own individual lives. I want to give credit to Dr. S. Craig Glickman. I studied under him. In fact, I even became a friend with him. We talked on a personal basis. Dr. Glickman wrote a book back in the 1970s called Knowing Christ, and Dr. Charles Ryrie said that his book gave exceptional insight into the baptism of Jesus Christ. And I want to read a portion of what he says as it relates to the baptism. And he said that the righteous leaders of the past, in humility, accepted the consequences of the sins of their fellow citizens, even if they themselves were not guilty. Ezra did that. Daniel did that. They acknowledged sin as if it was their own when it was the sin of the nation. And in surpassing humility, the sinless Nazarene now accepted them too. And in doing so, he foreshadowed the ultimate purpose of his mission to accept the consequences of others' sins in a way that no ordinary man could possibly do. And baptism was a particularly effective way to foreshadow this work, not merely because it was a sign of repentance, but also became a symbolic picture of his death and resurrection. 
Jesus was baptized as he was taking upon himself the sins of mankind, the sins of Israel, but yet the sins of the entire world. And that's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, including Israel's. The Old Testament, as Glickman points out, is filled with foreshadowings or precursors to this event of the baptism of Jesus, an event that oftentimes gets quickly passed by in our Bible reading, but an event of extreme importance. It's his inauguration. It was the time in which he was going to be inaugurated as the king. And we'll see how. But how does the Old Testament picture that? How does it give us that precursor to that event? Well, it begins in the very first words of the Bible. If you turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, the very famous words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as the creation account is unfolded in this first chapter of the Bible, verse 2 states the condition of the world or of the earth on the eve of its creation of life placed on the earth. And he says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. It was formless and void. And in the first three days of creation, God creates form. He separates the water from the land. He makes an expanse of air and atmosphere, and he establishes now the form of the world. And then in the second three days, he fills the void. And he puts in aquatic life. And he puts in birds and animals and amphibians and cattle and wild animals. He fills the earth. So now it is no longer formless and void. It is, now has order and, and is filled with life. But before that, as it was formless and void, there were two things that existed. Water was over the face of the world, and it was dark. Man can't live in either one. Life can't live without light. And life cannot live in water alone and without light. And what's fascinating is that as this is described in the first verses of the Bible, the last two chapters of the Bible teach us about the new heavens and the new earth. And in its description tells us that this new earth will no longer have any sea and it will have, no longer have any night. It will always be light and it will always be on land. You see, there's something about darkness and the sea that Dr. Alan Ross, Old Testament scholar, has shared and supports it from biblical texts in the Old Testament, primarily in Jeremiah and Isaiah, that the sea and darkness were symbolic of chaos, evil, and death. And the Bible tells us in this passage, as it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. The word hovering is the same word used in Deuteronomy of an eagle who hovers over her young as she kind of ruffles up 
the grasses of the nest to, to make good bedding for her young. She hovers in a protective way. And here we have the picture of the Holy Spirit hovering over the, the waters of the deep on the eve of its creation of the world. A new world filled with life, filled with light. The Spirit was hovering. Well, that's the first foreshadowing because here we have, and we don't have a description in the text itself, but there's something pertaining to judgment. Fall of Lucifer had happened, although that's not described in the text. We can only go from conjecture there. But something strange taking place with just darkness and water, and the Spirit of God hovers over that on the eve of the creation of the world and of light and life. That moves us on into further into the biblical text. In Genesis chapter 6 through 9, we have the famous story of Noah's flood. There's a battle, a cosmic battle, in which Satan and the seed of the serpent is at battle to destroy God's plan of the seed of the woman that would bring salvation to mankind. My own personal opinion, it appears from the verse, verses of this section of Genesis that Satan sought to interrupt that and intercept that attempt of God through the seed of the woman. And there was his efforts, the sons of God, cohabitated with the daughters of men. Whatever the outcome of that, and we won't go into the details of that today, but we know that there was a cosmic battle, but it led to a very, very sinful world. And it needed to be destroyed. And God destroys it, again now covering the face of the earth with water. And once again, water covers the face of the earth. But there's one family that is the exception. And Noah and his family build an ark under God's instruction, and they are delivered from the consequences of these waters of judgment. These waters of judgment destroyed all life except for those that were on that ark. And then Noah sends out a raven and then sends out a dove. And the dove flies out and makes its way back to the ark with an olive leaf. And now there's new hope of new life and a recreation of the world. And then Noah sends out eventually the, the dove again, and the dove goes out, but it doesn't return. And from that, Noah is able to conclude that there is a recreated earth, that we are now ready to disembark from this ark. And God gave commandment to fill the earth again. Very interesting. You've heard of the Ark of the Covenant, but in the Hebrew text, the word for Ark of the Covenant is a totally different word for the Ark of Noah. But the Ark of Noah is a word that's used twice in his account of the flood, but the other way in which it is used is later in the biblical text, and we want to move there. All of these are foreshadowing aspects of the baptism of Jesus, believe it or not. Because the other usage of the word Ark was no longer about a boat, but about a basket. The ark of Noah was covered in pitch so that it would be buoyant and float. 
And this basket was also covered in pitch so that it too would be buoyant and float. But this ark was not an ark that held a family but held a baby. This baby became the deliverer of the nation of Israel from slavery by the name of Moses. You know the story of Moses, and we can't go into any detail about his life, but we know eventually this. First of all, uh, Moses, under Pharaoh's role, had his life in danger even as a baby as Pharaoh commanded the male children of the Hebrews to be drowned in the Nile. And undoubtedly thousands of infants were drowned, male infants, under his direction, but Noah's, or Moses' life was spared. And he was raised and eventually became the leader of the nation of Israel. And you know that he took the nation of Israel out of bondage after plagues had um, broken Pharaoh's spirit and stubbornness. And Moses took those people and they came upon the banks of the Red Sea. And then God separated the waters. And Moses led those people on dry land, but through the waters. They had to go through the waters, but yet on dry land they were delivered. In fact, the Apostle Paul calls this the baptism of Moses. So he takes them through the waters. And after they get through the waters, the armies of Egypt follow. And God says, it's time to pay the piper. You drowned the infants of my chosen people, and I will now drown your army. And he does so. And the Red Sea comes back together, and the entire Egyptian army is destroyed and drowned under God's poetic justice. But the people of Israel, having having gone through the waters, now go into the wilderness. And then eventually from the wilderness, they go to Mount Sinai where where Moses receives the law, the law of Moses. And then eventually Moses leads them there to the border of the promised land. And there the promised land that they can now enter in to the land that God had promised Abraham centuries before. Centuries before. This also depicts an element of baptism. The judgment waters of Genesis 1, the judgment waters of Noah's flood, and then the waters that judged the armies of Egypt and destroyed them, but yet delivered, Israel delivered was th- through them. It causes us to move on into the biblical account to the baptism of Jesus about a new Moses. In fact, in many ways, he, he depicted from the life of Moses various aspects because as Moses' life was sought, with infant genocide, baby Jesus' life was sought with infant genocide as Herod ordered the killing of male children uh, two years of age and younger, and yet Jesus was spared. From that count, we jump ahead automatically 30 years in the biblical account to the baptism of Jesus, and now Jesus makes his way into the wilderness. He makes his way to be baptized and to go into the waters. 
And from those waterness, waters there in the wilderness area, he then goes into the wilderness itself to be tempted by Satan. And from the wilderness area to be tempted by Satan, he goes to a mountain and he delivers what is called the Sermon on the Mount, not to receive the law, but to properly and rightly interpret the law to his listeners. And then he promises to lead them to a kingdom. Moses was saved from infant genocide, took the people through the waters of judgment, into the wilderness, to a mountain to receive the law, to the promised land. Jesus is saved from infant genocide. He goes to the waters of the Jordan River, which are the waters of judgment. We'll explain in a moment. He then goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Then he interprets the law and the Sermon on the Mount, and then to lead people, which he is leading, to a kingdom to come, which he said to pray for, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The new Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he went into those waters by John the Baptist, he went into the waters of judgment because he was taking upon the sins of the world what judgment we deserve and what the world deserves, he takes upon himself the waters of judgment. And when he comes out of the waters, how appropriately that the Holy Spirit of Genesis 1 comes down as a dove, like the dove of Noah's flood, and comes down upon him and anoints him and inaugurates him now as the king. The words of Jesus that it fulfills all righteousness is packed with meaning as it fills all aspects of the Old Testament foreshadowing. The heavens open and a voice comes out of heaven, You are my son my beloved one. That might just appear to be a statement of relationship, but actually it's packed with meaning because it's a quotation from Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2 is what is called an enthronement psalm. It's a prophetic psalm of the kingship of the Messiah. Let me read a portion of Psalm chapter 2 when the psalmist says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations of your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And you might rightly ask, wasn't he always the son of God? Hasn't he always been God's son? And the answer to that is yes. Relationally, he has been eternally the Son of God. In eternity past, and that will remain for eternity future. But in this occasion, he was fulfilling the Davidic promise of 2 Samuel 7 that under the line of David would come the Messiah who would be king, and he will be a son to me. Now we're talking about a statute. A statute of kingship. 
And in the declaration of God the Father from heaven, he declares, this man is my king son. Fulfillment of Psalm 2. But he also said, my beloved one. You know, in the Old Testament book of Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham is called by God to sacrifice his one and only son Isaac as a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ as God's son being our sacrifice. It's interesting that as you read through that passage, you find six times your son whom you love, the son whom you love, the son whom you love. And Jesus Christ, the king's son, is the son, he says, whom I love. And then he says, in whom I am well pleased. This, too, has a connection to the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 42. In Isaiah, chapter 42, we see the foreshadowing of this that was stated at the baptism of Jesus. Let me read to you verse 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. And in chapter 42 of Isaiah through chapter 53 of Isaiah, we have four descriptions of the suffering that this man would endure to pay for the sins of the world. You know Isaiah 53, and it culminates there. By his stripes we are healed, and by his wounds, and the description of the crucifixion of the coming Messiah who we know has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And what God the Father is saying, this is my servant who is the priest, but he's priest in a different way. The priest will offer sacrifices for sin, but this priest will be the sacrifice for sin. He will be the sacrifice himself, and I'm so well pleased with him. I delight in him that he obeys me to take on this role of being the sacrificial lamb for the sins of mankind. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In our passage today, Jesus fulfills all three roles of prophet, priest, and king. Do this to fulfill all righteousness. That's as a prophet. You are my son, he's king, in whom I am well pleased, he's priest. He is the perfect man as our captain. The kingdom of God, after Israel rejected him as king, that kingdom program was not canceled, but it was postponed. And we're in that postponement right now until that kingdom comes. And there's a kingdom that awaits in the future, a kingdom here on this earth for a thousand years that he will reign with perfect justice and equity and righteousness. And the Bible is chock full of details, particularly in the book of Isaiah, but throughout Scripture of what that kingdom's going to be like. And that's why Jesus said, pray for it to come. Pray that it will come on earth as it already is in heaven, that the kingdom of God will come down 
and for earth to experience what it longs for. Even creation, Paul says, longs for a new creation. And all of our inner hearts long for the kingdom where righteousness reigns. But in the meantime, we go through a journey. And he's taken us towards that kingdom, and he's preparing us for it. And he's using trials and difficulties of life to mold us and to shape us and to give us an eternal perspective. I know for one, and I believe this is true for all of us here, but I certainly know it's true for me. If it wasn't through the trials of life, I would not have an eternal perspective. My email password is 1 Thessalonians 4.18. What does it say? Comfort one another with these words. What's the context? Comfort with what words? It's the words about the coming of Jesus where we'll be united with him and be united with those that we love who have died before us. It comforts me. There's a number of us in this room that have lost dear ones, loved ones, husbands, wives, children, grandchildren. It's through the trials of life that has caused a refocus in my life more and more to the kingdom to come. And the more I focus on the kingdom of come, the more I live a life that is a part of building that kingdom. But even more importantly, it's a life that draws closer to the king. I love the king. I just really love him. And I want to love him more, and so do you. And he's taking us on a journey to prepare us for that kingdom because he wants to share his reign with us. At the last verse of Isaiah 53, it says, he shares the spoils with the, with the proud, or the, excuse me, with, shares the spoils with the strong. He wants us to participate in that kingdom to the greatest way we possibly can. And we're on a journey, and the journey's not always easy. As we have received those messages of trials that people are experiencing here and people are experiencing them in Kansas just as much. We as believers must realize that we are being prepared for a kingdom, but in the meantime, we have a captain who's helping us. Nothing takes him by surprise, nothing. He's able to take us safely into the heavenly kingdom, as Paul says, that on the eve of his own death, he says, he will bring me safely into the heavenly kingdom. And he will guide us safely into his kingdom as we lean upon him. And the book of Hebrews, as it says that he was one that learned things through his own suffering to make the captain of our salvation perfect through suffering. And he makes himself available every day as our captain to receive his help. The book of Hebrews teaches us that he's available through prayer to find mercy and grace in time of need. He will help us as we go to him in prayer. He has given us his word and the promises of his word to give us hope and to give us a future and to be like the people of Abraham. It says, as they wandered in tents in this world, they looked to a city whose builder and maker is God. Is my life a life that looks to the city? The captain is steering my eyes to the kingdom to come. 
and preparing us for that great day when he returns. But he also provides his Holy Spirit. And the very Spirit that came down and hovered over the waters of the deep came down along with a dove on the Lord Jesus Christ and anointed him as king. That Holy Spirit lives within us and empowers us and enables us to live the Christian life and to walk with him as he leads us on this journey to the kingdom that he has prepared for us. If you don't know that captain, he wants to have you be one on his ship. By putting your faith in him alone for eternal life because he paid for your sin on the cross, he rose from the dead, you become his child the moment you trust him alone for eternal life. And then you embark on a journey. But it's a journey that he leaves us with this promise as he closes this book of Matthew with these words. And I will never leave you or forsake you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That baptism of Jesus was that inauguration of our captain to lead us to a kingdom, a kingdom that is yet to come. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us as orphans but through your Holy Spirit, through the promises of your word and through the access of our Lord Jesus Christ who sits on the throne and opens his throne room up to us to find mercy and help in time of need. We thank you that we have a leader, a king's son, a priest's son, a prophet's son, a captain, to lead us to the kingdom. As we await for it, Father, give us the strength to be faithful. Give us, Father, a closeness to you and to your son, Jesus. And Father, we look forward to the day of his return. Until then, we thank you for his ever daily presence and help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.